You are listening to the LA Sports Roundtable. Welcome to the LA Sports Roundtable. This is the HAF. With me is the Toyanator, Matt Montoya. Artie Moreno, sell the Angels. We're here podcasting the LA Sports Roundtable to you from our T1 studios. Here at the Roundtable, we talk LA sports. To those of you who listen, thank you. And please give us a shout out and a follow on Twitter and Instagram at LA Sports RT1. In this episode, we discuss if there is cause for concern about Anthony Davis. The new expansion rugby franchise, the LA Giltinis. Why Artie Moreno still needs to sell the Angels. The Dodgers landing Trevor Bauer. And Clinton Kershaw and David Price in our Who's Better segment. Because we compare LA players and we decide who's better. All right, Montoya, the Lakers have had a rough time since Anthony Davis injured what is now being called as calf versus Achilles tendinosis, which Davis said had no relation to a potential tear of his Achilles tendon. He came back too early, and upon making a normal basketball move where he was fouled by the convict-looking spawn of King Kong Bundy and Ivan Drago, Nikola Jokic, AD could barely walk after that happened. And the interesting thing is I'm surprised he didn't completely tear his Achilles tendon. Coupled with Dennis Schroeder having to miss multiple games due to the virus protocol, the Lakers have had a tough stretch and have fallen in the NBA power rankings. Davis said he's going to increase his treatment to five times a day. Maybe he's thinking about converting to the nation of Islam because Muslims pray five times a day. He sounds like he's a doctor and that everything will be all right, but will it really? We've talked about Kevin Durant being Sam Bradford, Mr. Glass, and KD, the ring chaser, has been missing games recently, too, to no one's surprise. But the interesting thing is the Nets have still been winning. 
Adam Douchebag, Jersey Ad Love and Silver, who drives 15 hours and 29 minutes to Love's Truck Stop on Tree Farm Road in New Florence, Missouri, to eat food fitting for him because they gave him a discount for allowing Jersey Ads destroying the NBA uniform, announced there will be a pandemic all-star game and said there's a lot of fan support for it. Montoya, is AD the real Sam Bradford, Mr. Glass of the NBA, and not Kevin the Ring Chaser Durant? I'm going to say no. Um, I, I definitely think he came back way too early, and I think that was a very bad idea on his part. Um, but we've seen this before. And I also think the fact that he plays with LeBron, who's been known as a bit of uh, uh, an Iron Man, you know, that also pl- played a little bit of a role in that. I think he wanted to uh, try to imp- impress LeBron, and it uh, ended up coming back flat. So um, I, don't, I don't see him as Mr. Glass. I do not see him as Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford has no rings, and AD has a ring. Um, I just I think he was working way too hard to try to come back too early, and he's going to end up paying the price for that. What about yourself? Well, I think he did come back too early as well, and I think he's paying for the price, and the Lakers are paying the price for that now. The thing with the amount of time AD has missed in his career each year, I think he is very vulnerable to injury. KD, however, missed a whole year when he could have come back, and he chose not to last year and just collected a whole bunch of money from the Brooklyn Nets for not playing one game. Um, I think there is a bigger impact on AD not playing with, with the Lakers right now due to injury because it's mainly a two-star team. You have these defined role players like Kuzma, who people thought could have been an up-and-coming star, but he's not really that. And what did you have with the Nets? You had James Harden force his way there. And I don't know how the league is basically perceiving the Nets. And um, maybe the Nets are just overwhelming them with their just sheer firepower. But I don't see them being able to sustain that, number one. But the second thing is, if Davis doesn't come back, the Lakers don't have a shot. And since Anthony Davis has missed significant time every year of his career, why, Montoya, did the Lakers believe him to think that he could come back, thus contributing to AD re-injuring himself? Well, we've seen this before. If you remember uh, the late great Kobe Bryant and his work ethic and the way that he came back from a torn Achilles. Um, And I think it's just something about that uniform that allowed the Lakers to think it was something that was possible. What I end up thinking this is, or what this may end up turning into is the Lakers equivalent of uh, the Nuggets finish against Washington last night. I don't know if you saw that or not. Do you know anything about that? To give that context, what happened was is the Nuggets were down by two with just a few seconds left. They had a fast um, break, and they had one person who was at the arc for the three. If any of the Nuggets players had gone towards the basket to tie the game, they would have had an open shot. All that would have needed to happen is a bounce pass. Instead, three or two uh, Wizards players came up to the person who had the ball. He threw it to the outside um, 
on the arc to some, I don't remember who it was that took the shot, but he took a three point shot with about 2.1 seconds. And um, he ended up missing the shot. And then the nuggets lost the game by two points. Whereas if, by trying to go for the three, instead of just going up, taking the uncontested layup and tying the game. And that's the reason why I bring that up is I think by, if there was anyone within the organization who was rushing AD, that is the perfect prototypical play. That's the equivalent of what the Lakers did. Are, are, are you following my logic? Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And, um, you know, that reminds me of the interesting thing is that number one, Kobe came back after his Achilles tear within nine months. Mm -hmm. Kevin Durant basically missed um, over a year and a half, I want to say. Yes, I I believe it was a year and a half. Yeah, so that's basically double the time, minimum. Um, AD has had Kobe moments in the playoffs and I think that was uh, versus the Nuggets when he had a game-winning shot. If I could be mistaken, but if I recall correctly, that could be. But he did win a game uh, with the game-winning shot. And, um, you know, but it, it just I see it, uh, you can't, uh, if you're the Lakers, you can't put AD in the same boat as the late great Kobe Bryant. You just can't. Kobe was Kobe. Kobe played with injury. Kobe played with weird contraptions on his shoulder because he had a shoulder injury. Kobe uh, played with uh, face masks, you know, dislocated uh, uh, fingers. Um, You know, uh, he had uh, uh, a bad knee. He went in the offseason to get to Germany to get that – you know, injection, blood injection, platelet, or whatever uh, procedure. Uh, but AD has just shown he is very, very susceptible to injury. Well, let's let's just and let's. I don't. I want to say. I want to say it's it's almost. It, I think. I I. I think he could be the Sam Bradford, Mister Glass. The guy gets hurt. He's skinny, but he's a force. He's not like. He's not, um, you know, like Jokic, who lost a lot of weight due to, you know, the meth uh, problem and all that of uh, Pueblo, Colorado. He's always been a skinny dude. Well, the one thing that I want to say about this is you can't compare anyone to Kobe because I don't believe there's anyone out there who has Kobe's drive. Kobe was driven to win. I think the only person, the only two people on the planet, I think, who could um, compare to that drive, maybe three, would be Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, and Larry Bird. It was a -a one-of-a-kind drive to win at um, all costs. It's like the equivalency of Ronnie Lott having his finger amputated and going out to finish the game. You just are not going to see that. Um, That drive doesn't exist anymore, I don't believe. Yeah, and and still, just thinking about that Ronnie Lott story makes me squirm. Um, if he had a chance to save his ring uh, or his finger, you know, I mean, it's, it's I think it's just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I mean, someone like that, I um, mean, that is pretty intense. They want to win and and play the game. 
and not miss any time at all costs. But um, based on that, uh, his absence has caused the Lakers a lot of grief right now. They lost four in a row. They have a, um, a victory against the Blazers. And, um, you know, other than that, I mean, it would have been five in a row. But the Blazers, to be honest, they didn't really have a chance. It was basically um, the Lakers almost the whole game. But let me ask you, do the Lakers fans have cause to be concerned for a championship as far as being able to repeat with this type of injury that AD has? So close to his Achilles now that they're saying is just a calf? Absolutely. I mean, we've in all of sports, especially with the pandemic, let's take a look at the pandemic and the fact and how unique that that is. And what I mean by that is the Lakers just won their championship, what, like 120 days ago? I mean, it's literally only been like, I don't, I don't even think it's been a full, I don't even think there was a full 90 days off. So I realized that there was a big break in NBA action at the beginning of the pandemic, but I anticipate there being more bodies breaking down due to, for teams who were in the playoffs due to how close the beginning of the new season was versus um, when the last season ended. What do you think? Do you agree with me or am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy. No, no. I just think it's, uh, you know, just those crazy times because of the COVID pandemic and all that. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, this is like unprecedented. Last time when they had a pandemic like the Spanish flu 100 years ago, there was nothing like this going on. But, um, but I definitely think Lakers fans have a cause to be concerned. And I don't want to say I fear that they'll not be able to repeat, but it is a concern. If AD cannot come back, it's over. If AD comes back and tears his Achilles, because we all know what happened once Kevin Durant, they were saying, oh, we had a sore calf. And then he came back in the finals versus the Raptors and then tore his Achilles. I mean, it's, yeah, calf. It can very well turn into that. And in, in, in KD is, has a skinny frame. Davis has a skinny frame. We're not talking about like a solid muscular person like LeBron or, um, or you know, the convict-looking spawn of King Kong buddy <laughs> Ivan Drago, Nikola Jokic. Okay. But speaking of uh, the convict-looking spawn of King Kong Bundy and Ivan Drago, Nikola Jokic is now being discussed as an MVP candidate as well as LeBron James. Has Jokic's meth workout, which has allegedly been supplied by the rifle Barbie, Barbie congresswoman Lauren Boebert of Colorado. <laughs> Who represents Pueblo. She does represent Pueblo. Con- contributed to his improved <laughs> gameplay. Well, I'm I'm not going to give Bobart credit for anything other than being rifle Barbie. Um, so no, I don't I don't think she had any type of positive impact on Nikolai Jokic. But I do believe that Jokic, when he left for Europe during the pandemic, whatever it was that he did that got him um, to slim down and take his training more seriously, has definitely shown up on the court. 
Um, it's unfortunate though, because if if Jokic was with this Lakers team with LeBron, I think that the Lakers would be automatically you could just give them the title right now. But when you look at plays like what Denver has been doing against um, the Wizards, like what I just mentioned, or the fact that uh, they are winless, I, I believe they're winless this year against Sacramento, who's one of the worst teams in the league. Um, it just goes to show right now that uh, Nikolai Jokic is kind of like Mike Trout. He's just being wasted in Denver. You know, I don't want to say he's being wasted in Denver. I mean, being, you know, but he's definitely kicking butt. And he's coming uh, well into his own if he didn't do it last year or if he didn't do it in the bubble when he came back uh, after losing all that weight. Um, but I just want to repeat, you know, that um, he has been allegedly – or allegedly he's been supplied by the rifle Barbie congressman woman <laughs> Lauren Bobart of Colorado who, um, you know, is uh, allegedly – Supplier, and you know, I mean, uh, she is a Republican, and you know, uh, they have a big involvement in the uh, in the drug trade. But uh, you know, well, you know, the other thing that is going on is she has a lot of biker friends who like to do the OK symbol. You can Google that online. You can see a picture of her in front of the Colorado State Capitol with a bunch of biker-looking guys making the OK symbol. So I'm going to agree with you that there was an opportunity for her to supply the spawn of uh, King Kong Bundy with some meth. It was a huge possibility just based off of who she associates with. So, yes, I will agree that uh, Rifle Barbie could potentially be a meth dealer. Oh, did you also know one more fun fact about Rifle Barbie that she only has a GED, which I believe she got while in custody of uh, the Weld County Police Department. <laughs> and that is not that is not me talking trash that is a legit fact and no it doesn't surprise me at all you know after uh four years of grumpy trumpy nothing surprises me anymore and um i would just uh hope that the american electorate would be more knowledgeable and uh conscious of um things like this instead of um, at their convenience. But, you know, I mean, getting back to Jokic, and I don't think he's wasting away in Colorado or with the Denver <laughs> Nuggets, you know. Um, but he came back into the bubble like a man on the mission, and it's carried over to this year. But now it's like he's being discussed as an MVP candidate. Um, and based on that, uh, the other person that's been discussed now it's like LeBron James and I don't know I, it sort of feels like artificial that LeBron is like okay build up LeBron LA media whatever because he got uh, slighted the last uh, season especially when they're in the bubble and all that and he averaged a triple double and then yet uh, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo still won it again and people were like, wow, you know, that was a close one. LeBron should have got it. And now LeBron, statistically, he's not doing exactly the same, maybe a little bit less than last season. But they're pushing, okay, it's now between LeBron and Jokic for the MVP. And I don't know. I mean, uh, as, as much of a Lakers fan, diehard Lakers fan I am, I don't know if I would just say, okay, give it to LeBron. Um, 
if Jokic sustains what he's been doing this season with his game play. So my question for you is, uh, who should be the MVP of the NBA if the season were to end today? LeBron James or the convict to King Spawn, King Kong Buddy, and Ivan Drago, <laughs> Nikola Jokic? Well, you know, here's the biggest piece about that. Yes, they're both uh, MVP candidates. But I believe that when LeBron was taking a team and they were winning and they were doing really well, if you're going to be an MVP, you also elevate the play of your team. And right now the Lakers are not being elevated by LeBron. And when the Nuggets are losing to Sacramento and Washington and these bottom cellar dwellers in the league – Jokic really isn't doing anything in terms of what I consider to be MVP caliber responsibilities. So while I do believe that his play versus the rest of his career right now is at an MVP level, and I do believe that he deserves it, and I agree with you that he's not being wasted in Denver. I just think that when you're not able to capitalize against some of the worst teams in the league, you're essentially looking like Mike Trout, at least for this year. So I'm just I'm basing that argument based off of that. If you look at them last year, if you look at the Nuggets even a couple of years ago, they were a couple of one or two, um, you know, role playing good good players from being able to get into the finals. And I just feel like they've regressed. And so I don't think that you can call either of these guys a true MVP based off of the play of their teams. What do you agree or okay. disagree? Well. Based on that logic, I do agree. But let me throw a cog, all right, in uh, the whole thing here. Now, the um, other person who is on the radar for the MVP is Joel Embiid. Now, CBS Sports reports that they Embiid and Jokic have advanced in metrics. If you're talking about just that. But what you said has a lot of validity. Um, but And it says the headline, LeBron James' narrative is strong. Okay. And then the subtitle is, Damian Lillard is better than all of them in the clutch, and Stephen Curry might be having the best season. But now if you're saying the top three is Embiid, Jokic, or LeBron, I don't know. I don't think Embiid – can be even if he's having a strong season. I honestly think it's between Jokic and LeBron. Now, if indeed the Denver Nuggets um, flop in the playoffs again and don't advance very far, then you know LeBron is going to go to the finals or to the Western Conference finals because that's just what LeBron does in his career. Um, you have to give it to LeBron. And, you know, Embiid hasn't done much in the postseason at all. And I know the MVP is basically an award for the regular season, but you're talking about it bringing, advancing your team to the next level, bringing them up to the next level, all of that. Uh, LeBron clearly, I think, is in the best position, even though they've lost four in a row and have won one against the Blazers to stop the losing streak. I still think it's LeBron is that type of player. Okay, so let me throw a monkey wrench back at you. What do you think about Kawhi Leonard not even being mentioned? You know what? I 
don't think that's a problem at all. And if you're going to also talk about Kawhi Leonard, you know Paul George is going to say himself that he should be the MVP when he still has no basis. He just has that humongous contract. If anybody, it is Kawhi Leonard. But can he do what you were just talking about, bringing his teammates to another level? That's the question. Kawhi, has he ever won an MVP? I don't believe that he has, no. And maybe that's the reason why. But again, you also have to look. I mean, he was with some great Spurs teams. And, um, you know, what he did in Canada, um, he was still he still had a pretty good supporting cast. This is one of those cases where, um, you know, the, the Clippers are looking decent, being second in the Western uh, Conference. But I agree with you. I, I just – I don't see – Kawhi making this list until the Clippers actually do something in the playoffs, which means that he has no shot for this year. And uh, he's going to have to set the stage for next year, if he's even still a Clipper next year. Yeah, and that's a good point. And, you know, Kawhi, when you have it just between two teams and when he's won the finals with the Spurs and the Raptors, he has two finals MVP awards. But when you – put the whole season in play with a whole bunch of other players, it doesn't look like he has won. So that could be the reason why for Kawhi Leonard. Um, next, let's get to your boy, Adam, douchebag, <laughs> Jersey Ad Love and Silver, who drives 15 hours and 29 minutes to the Love's truck stop on Tree Farm Road in New Florence, Missouri, to eat food fitting for him because they give him a discount for allowing Jersey Ads destroying the NBA uniform. He is enabling and allowing a pandemic all-star game. Is the all-star game worth playing during this pandemic, or should it be skipped this year? What do you think, Montoya? Honestly, I think that they should play it so long as they don't actually use any all-stars from um, teams in the Western Conference because, let's be honest, the Eastern Conference isn't going to matter anyway. So they should have it somewhere like in Oklahoma City or maybe Dallas or um, San Antonio or somewhere in the South or maybe even New Orleans. But um, it shouldn't be in a city uh, um, on the West Coast. And there should be no Western Conference All-Stars because that's the side that matters. <laughs> that's going to be the moneymaker when it comes finals time. And um, so, yeah, I, if they want to do it, they should do it in the South and they should do it with um, teams from the Eastern Conference only. Well, unfortunately, that can't happen, but it will be in the South. But the Western Conference players will be there. And they're doing this thing where the – the LeBron and uh, I forget, I think it's Giannis are going to be captains of a team and picking it, their teammates versus the Eastern Conference versus the Western Conference, which I personally hate. All right, this is in the school play, playground. This is in like, you know, the blacktop. This is, these are not kids. These are grown men, professional athletes, and you're representing a league, and this needs to be a professional all-star game with conference versus conference. And that is my opinion on that subject. If you're going to hold that game at all. All right. This whole pick your fucking team, I think is just ridiculous. There's just one other example. Where the, NFL. Your boy, the, 
the douchebag has destroyed this league. Well, you know, the all-star game, whether it be the NBA or the NFL, has really kind of gone to shit. Um, it's not what it once was. Nobody really watches the Pro Bowl any more than anybody watches the NBA all-star game. And the NFL also tried this. They brought in Jerry Rice and somebody else, and they picked some teams, and they played against each other. And uh, it was still just another half-effort Pro Bowl <clears throat> because no one wanted to get hurt. And so uh, I honestly think that they should probably just do away with the All-Star games or, you know, maybe it's uh, instead of having an All-Star weekend, they should have uh, an NBA um, developmental league weekend <laughs> and let some of the top stars from uh, the, the development league have a weekend where uh, they can take the center stage. If you do that, even less people are going to watch the game, just like the Pro Bowl. And why are they doing that as far as the Pro Bowl? You said it, half effort. They are so afraid to get injured because the violent nature of football that the Pro Bowl is a joke. It's absolutely a joke. It's not football. When what does the all-star game become? It's become a joke. There's no defense because they don't want players getting injured. So it's just like, okay, let's throw it up. Let's have these wild scores. Let's have these open lane dunks, layups. And there's no competition. It's just who scores last. Who scores last wins. Yeah. Who scores last wins and who scores the most wins the all-star game MVP. Okay. Which is the Kobe Bryant MVP award. So, um, and then another part of making it a show is instead of having a separate, uh, like, you know, activities like the dunk contest, they're putting the dunk contest during halftime of the all-star game. Now, I think, I don't know, that may draw interest to the game, okay, because people like the dunk contest, but is that really enough time? to have a dunk contest during a halftime of a basketball game when it's uh, usually an hour or two, uh, you know, a part of uh, all-star weekend. Well, let's also look at how is that going to affect the second half of the game? I realize nobody's actually playing, but if, uh, and I realize these are NBA players whose conditioning should be really good, but I just think you're, you're further cheapening the game. By having the all star or by having the dunk contest in the middle of the game with players who are playing in the in the game makes as much sense as a football bat. Like you need to have the game so everybody's at full strength and those people who want to participate in the dunk contest. Let's make the dunk contest the actual competition of the all star weekend because we know that the game there's not going to be any defense. There's not going to be anything really worth watching. But the, the dunk contest will actually have some creativity to it, and it will actually be worth watching. So you make the dunk contest the center point of your All-Star weekend, and you play the game first, and then you have uh, the All-Star game shortly thereafter. Oh, I'm sorry, you have the dunk contest shortly thereafter. And that's, um, that might be able to drive ratings in a better way. And the reason why you have the game first is because if you are worried about the level of competition – you don't want these guys focusing on the dunk portion of uh, 
everything before the game and you definitely don't want guys tired and you don't want them to be um, a bit more injury prone because they've been, you know, exerting themselves before the game doing the dunks. I could be completely wrong. Well, regardless, injuries are a part of the game. But, um, I mean, you know, uh, there should be some, I mean, okay, you don't want to have them. But it, um, if they do happen, you want them to be minor, okay? Not major injuries. So play defense, but don't do anything stupid, you know? And that could be something stupid is, well, I don't think they're going to have any of the all-star game participants in the dunk contest. I mean, if they do, that it would be stupid. Um, but last NBA question, Montoya. And then we'll switch it up to MLB. The NBA didn't announce the second half of this season's schedule until recently because they were saying they wanted to wait to schedule the second half due to the virus and the pandemic. How do you think not announcing the second half of this NBA schedule will impact the league and the perception of the league and the manipulating of the games that are played in the second half based on the standings as of this moment. I actually think this is where Adam Silver again um, sucks. No, I think this is where he separates himself into being the best commissioner in all of sports. He's taking where life has given him lemons and he's making lemonade out of it. And he's going to flip this opportunity into putting together the most competitive schedule that he possibly can. And he's going to have an epic, absolutely epic second half in terms of competition. Unless there's a ton of injuries. Completely disagree. Completely disagree. You know, by not announcing the second half until now and saying it is because of the virus and the pandemic it's an excuse. What he's doing is manipulating the schedule. And what is that going to do? It's going to cause people to speculate the favoritism of teams like the Lakers with the second half schedule. And, uh, and automatically people will look to things like that and say their favoritism for those big market teams that the NBA will make more money on if and when they make the postseason and win the championship. By having one schedule instead of two schedules and one being released halfway through the season, there's n- there's no way people can do that and speculate and and accuse favoritism, and they're just not thinking anybody is going to be smart enough to think that because this is their excuse to manipulate the schedule. And have that perception be there. So I don't know. I mean, I'm against what you say about Adam Silver turning lemons into lemonade. I think he has destroyed this game. <laughs> well, I mean, you could definitely say that, but if we're going to look at big market teams, I mean, nobody's watching the Knicks, regardless of how favorable that schedule made it, they may attempt to make it. And that's the number one market in the United States. So the what argument about the Brooklyn Nets, Brooklyn Nets, NYC. I don't I don't care if they're Brooklyn or New New Jersey. Yeah, I mean it's the same 
it's essentially the same market, but again, it, nobody's going to care about the Clippers that much. And the Clippers are a, a contending team. So I definitely see the opportunity for what you're saying. I just don't necessarily buy it because if that was the case and uh, they were trying to do something like that, they would have kicked Donald Sterling out of LA a long time ago. And they would have got somebody in here who was going to make the team competitive. Mm -hmm. So I see the opportunity for it, but I don't agree. Well, we'll see. We, Social media, I'm calling it right now. But you also have to understand, these are these people that are going to be saying that, especially if the Lakers win, are the equivalency of a Patriots fan who says that their team doesn't cheat. They're just looking for excuses. It's like um, a Trump supporter saying that the election was rigged and trying to storm the Capitol. There's no logic. There's no rhyme or reason to it. These people are just going to be haters, and haters are going to hate anyway. Okay, that is true. Haters will hate anyway. But if it is completely obvious that teams like the Lakers and the Nets and uh, um, the Sixers have a completely favorable second half schedule to make sure to that make sure they end up in the sure finals, that they, that they end up deep in the playoffs and the finals, then I'm telling you, people may wise up then. But until then, we will see. Okay. We'll have to take a look at social media, but on that note, why? Well, wait, wait, before to, um, before we end the segment, I'm going to say this right now. What is today's date? February 26th. Right now, the Jazz are number one in the standings in the Western Conference, and with the Clippers and the Lakers right behind them. So, if the Jazz suddenly fall to fifth or sixth, and the Lakers and the Clippers are in first and second place respectively at the end of the season, along with the um, with Philadelphia and Brooklyn. We'll take a look at this at the end of the season. We'll go back to this episode and we'll see just who's right. But I, I agree with you that there could be a possibility. I just don't see it happening. Time will tell. Time will tell. We'll see. Did you know that there is an MLR, Major League Rugby. And if you did know, did you know there is a new expansion franchise that's going to play in L.A. next month? And their name is called the L.A. Guiltini, based <laughs> off of a martini. But I think it has something to do with the owner, Australian owner, I think he could have his first name be Gil something, or Giltini could just be another type of martini drink. But anyway, I haven't done that much research on it, but what do you, it, fucking, it, um, what do you fucking think of that? It's, a, a, a rugby team in LA, and they're called the Giltinis, based on a martini. A fucking drink, cocktail. Let's, I, um, it, I like it, and the reason why I say I like it, if you look in uh, some of L.A.'s past, especially if you go into some of the areas in older parts of L.A., I mean, during the Rat Pack in some of those days, that was the drink of choice. It, it's kind of a, uh, a perfect way to represent L.A. Okay. Second question about that is uh, their uniform is teal and pink. 
is that just like uh, some Australian thing or what? Um, honestly, I, I think it's more of a West LA thing. <laughs> right on, man. Well, hold on. I'm I'm looking up the guillotines and what the guillotine meaning is. The um, the LA Guiltini's logo in powder blue, like the Chargers, and uh, pink and green features a rugby ball in a play in place of an olive. <laughs> Let's open the sky yeah, I up. Saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Los Angeles team shares Australian ownership and alcoholic inspiration. It's named for a yet to be marketed cocktail with. The Austin Giltin, oh, Gil Gronius, a Texas team who played two seasons in the U.S. professional rugby union com- um, competitions as the Austin Elite. Yeah, go figure. A team from a red state calling themselves elite, but the allegedly the only place where the elite could play is the only civilized city in the state. Um, <laughs> and we're also known as the Austin heard before the rebranding this year in a statement. So it looks like, um, I want to see what the Austin Gilgronis is. Well, while you're looking that up, have you ever heard, or actually, excuse me, have you ever seen rugby live? I'm not seen it live, but we need to make that happen. Definitely. Especially, I mean, I'm sure once we get out of the purple in L.A. County, we can go. Um, or, you know, because I don't think there will be, you know, a big demand on tickets, number one. Number two, even if they space out, they're going to be playing in the Coliseum, which has 77,000 seats. And I think they'll be lucky to get a few thousand. But we'll see. That, that could be an over-under. Will the Guiltinis have over-under 5,000 fans? But I remember... I saw rugby once in my life in the Home Depot Center, now known as whatever, in Carson. (laughs) It was an international rugby match. And I saw, I think, New Zealand play Tonga or something like that. And uh, I had no clue what they were doing. Do you have any clue about the rules of rugby and what the I don't know all the positions are called? I don't I don't know all the rules. I do know that American football takes a lot of what it does from rugby. Some of the things that you'll notice is when a ball is kicked through the uprights, the ref does this and then they also but they also put a mix on it and go like that. The other thing that happens is the scrum. If you look at the scrum and you compare it to the offensive and defensive lines, you'll see where that comes from. Because the scrum is where they take the ball, they're trying to forward the ball, trying to move it forward towards a goal, like football. And then when the ball is essentially snapped, instead of trying to run around or run away because these guys aren't wearing pads, they essentially try to use... Um, the wedge that is now outlawed in the NFL to push forward. Yes. 
and I have noticed that. And at the same time, um, they, I looked on uh, the MLR, Major League Rugby website, and they had something about the rules of rugby, and they said that to play that game, it is safer not to have pads and a helmet. So... Okay, and I know that I know the history of the name now. A Los Angeles expansion team was announced in 2018, but the LA Coast subsequently lost out on Loyal's Rugby, which is is funded by Adam Gilchrist, an Australian behind the F45 gym business. Well, Gilchrist stepped in at at Austin, MLR owners waived rules against the stake, stakes in multiple teams. Last year, Gilchrist trademarked multiple names for cocktails. Among them, the Gil Tai, like a Mai Tai, the Gila Colada, like a Pina Colada, the Gilito, like a Mojito, the Gil, the Gilgarita, like a Margarita, and the Gilmopolitan like the Cosmopolitan. So this guy just has a weird fetish with his own name, and he's trademarked a bunch of drinks with it, and he's hoping to capitalize on the, the um, trademarking of these drinks, and he's going to market it on um, his, his uh, rugby team. Well, so you can say that's kind of creative, or that's completely stupid. And or you could just you could just say that. Um, what's the word I'm looking for when you're very full of yourself? Egotistical. Well, not only egotistical, but what was the term they used in Iron Man to describe um, narcissist? Narcissist, very narcissistic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So especially if uh, rugby does gain in popular in this country, but. Do you think rugby can gain in popularity in the United States? With our love for violence and collisions, I think it can. Okay. I just think we need to I just think that we need to have somebody kind of explain it to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to look at it from this perspective. American football is like a cross between rugby and lacrosse. And if you've ever really watched lacrosse, lacrosse is it's amazing. I don't fully understand everything that's going on um, because it's very similar to soccer, and I don't understand all the rules of soccer. But lacrosse is kind of like a cross between rugby and um, soccer, and I, I like it. I like the, the level of violence that can happen, and I think you can see the same thing with rugby just without pads. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I'm interested in seeing is seeing some of the teams that are going to come out and do the haka dance. What's the haka dance? You've never seen the haka. Is it out of Oaxaca? Like... <laughs> no, the guy who played Aquaman, he did a haka before the premiere, but this is probably one of the most famous hakas. Um, the guy's a linebacker for the Chargers now. Mm-hmm. And his dad 
was actually the mascot for the University of Hawaii. But here, I'm going to show this to you. And his brothers played at Texas Tech and other places like that. Booking a family vacation in a burbo means leaving all the craziness behind. Well, not all. Crazy feels good has room to spread out. Can you hear it on my mic? On the beach. Yes. Or the pool. It's private. Just feels like. That's Brandon Fehoko, linebacker, Chargers. Watch his brother stick out his tongue at the end. Well, that doesn't that doesn't seem like it's hard to do. But okay, so um, you know, when you have a bunch of people doing it in unison, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I'm sure it is. It can be a spectacle. Um, now, based on what you saw with the Guiltini logo and colors, would you be willing to wear one of those jerseys that's pink and teal? I would. So this is an actual rugby match. This is the intro. Like the beginning of the game, right? Yep. Yep. All right. So here, you just got to watch this really quick. I'm not going to play the whole thing because it's long, but it's actually a pretty cool spectacle. Yeah, no, I've seen rugby before, and, uh, and I saw no, I've seen it in person. I'm talking about this. Watch this. They're doing a hot cup. As a team. Mm-hmm. This is what people going after. I, I want to go to a rugby match just to see this. You know what? I think uh, they're wasting too much energy before the game even begins. You know that they banned this at the University of Hawaii before football games because. Some of the football players and opposing teams were intimidated by it. Well, quite a spectacle, Montoya. Quite a spectacle. <laughs> All right. What the hell? So, at any rate, It'll be interesting. 
I didn't know how long they've had an MLR, Major League Rugby, in this country, but apparently it's been a few years. And now there is a team in Los Angeles, a new expansion team, the Los Angeles Guiltinis, playing at the LA Coliseum with their first match coming up March 20th. And it's unknown if fans will be allowed in attendance as of this moment. All right, Montoya, let's shift to MLB. The champions of the world, the Los Angeles Dodgers, won the Trevor Bauer sweepstakes. Bauer did something interesting in announcing his free agent signing decision. He showed two hats on Twitter, one being a Dodgers hat and the other being a Mets hat. He wrote a post indicating that it was down to two teams. Apparently, Mets fans didn't like that he did that after they lost, and Bauer announced he was signing with his hometown team where he's from. They were actually offended, the Mets fans, because he wanted to play in his hometown and not the New York City team. Hmm, dealing with LA media or New York media is like a report, and what you did wrong to being crucified in each respective media market. Dealing with Dodgers fans to Mets fans, and Mets fans are actually shocked he chose the Dodgers. Meanwhile, Arizona native pulled the fast one on the city of Anaheim and purchasing the Big A. Artie Moreno still hasn't sold the team. The man who the LA Times has reported uh, having a lack of leadership, which continues to haunt the Angels, is about to waste another year in Mike Trout's career. Shoei Otani, or shall I say, Shoei Shurhiskrani Otani, is cleared to pitch this year and has recently hit 97 miles per hour on the radar gun. But is it still spoiled red delicious apples Artie Moreno got at the 99-cent store to sweet, yummy Valencia oranges when comparing Angels and Dodgers pitching? Montoya? Did Trevor Bauer display a lack of class in toying with Mets fans by posting Mets and Dodgers hats on Twitter before well, announcing where he would sign? Well, let's just take it back to LeBron started this gangster shit, and this is the motherfucking thanks he gets in terms of he was taking his talents to Miami. Um, so we can say that this started with LeBron, and it's kind of taken on its own life. And it's the millennial way to do things in terms of social media. I don't think he did anything wrong. I think Mets fans are just uh, a little upset there, guy, because, uh, you know, they didn't choose them. If he had chosen New York then, and L.A. fans were upset, then they'd be saying the same thing. This was just a matter of somebody who's going to have sort of, um, you know, have some hurt feelings. Yeah. I think the Mets fans are just sore losers, number one. And I think ever since that billionaire Cohen bought the team, they think they're going to be winning the World Series without having to build up their team like the Dodgers have done with Andrew Friedman in the past few years before they finally won it when they should have won it in 17. But let's not go back to the scam of the commissioner, scam bread, man bread. But Mets fans are sore losers. I don't know why they would think, number one, that an L.A. native – would choose New York over L.A. The dude is from Los Angeles. He grew up in North Hollywood. He went to UCLA. He did pretty good pitching in Ohio. 
and uh, was at the Great American Ballpark, which is like a launching pad for those baseballs that have been juiced the last few years. So good, decent enough in that ballpark to win the NL Cy Young Award last year. And he's getting to go to a pitcher's paradise in pitching at Dodgers Stadium, unless it's a day game in the summer. So I have no idea why Mets fans were so upset. I don't think it's a lack of class. I think it's just, you know, sort of juvenile. Just, hey, announce who you're going to sign with. You know, yes, he toyed with uh, both fan bases, but I didn't have a doubt once he posted that tweet with the Dodgers and Mets hat, I had no doubt he was going to choose the Dodgers because I knew the man is from North Hollywood and went to UCLA. Well, honestly, I just, I don't see any harm in it. I mean, he, it's millennial culture. It, um, somebody was going to end up talking trash. It, was, it brought out the competitive spirit to both franchises, fan bases. I, I don't see it. I mean, it's sports. That's what you, that's what you do. That's what you want. You want to bring out the competitiveness in both franchises, not only on the playing field, but from their fans. Like, I, I honestly think that what he did, had he gone to either of the uh, um, clubs, he was going to be doing them a marketing service. So now Mets fans are extra motivated to buy tickets when the Dodgers come to town so they can boo him. And yeah, but you know, last um, few years, especially since the Dodgers have been competitive and winning the division every year, they have been a big draw around the country. They have their Pantone fans following them in droves from L.A., traveling, you know, all over the country. They flooded Yankee Stadium last time they played the Yankees there. So um, I think, it. yeah, it is good for baseball, stuff like that. If you do, you know, I may not, I may not do things like that, but I can understand the whole millennial culture thing. Uh, but the dude, yeah, he did. Not only the Mets and the Dodgers, a marketing service, he did baseball a service. And maybe that'll prevent them from doing all these drastic rule changes or continue to do these drastic rule changes by having their players do stuff like this and creating excitement and interest. But you know what? Let me ask you, if you had a choice would you choose to play for the Mets or the Dodgers and you were Trevor Bauer? I'm going to go with the Dodgers and uh, I'm an American League fan. I prefer the DH. But if I was going to choose between the two, I like the opportunity of playing at Dodger Stadium. I don't necessarily want to play at City Field. I want to play at some place with uh, some history to it. I also want to uh, play in a, a franchise that has a little bit more of a winning history than uh, the Mets do. You know, the Mets are, in football terms, the Jets of New York. And uh, you definitely don't want to necessarily be a Mets or a Jets fan. You want to be more of a um, Yankees-Giants fan. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely would go to the Dodgers. On the flip side, you and I had a conversation via Twitter 
with uh, a guy by the name of Darren McKee um, in Denver, um, DMAC1043 on Twitter. And we discussed this exact same topic. And I think that he brought up a valid point in the, when he's mentioned that he liked the California over or the extra innings rule where you have someone on second base. I actually, that's the biggest part of the changes that I dislike is having someone already in scoring position. Um, that's part of the game that I think you have to earn getting into scoring position. So that's the one part of the changes that I definitely don't agree with. I, I agree. It brings some excitement, but I just feel like second base is something you have to earn. You shouldn't just be handed. Um, and I don't remember your particular stance on that, but I, you're more of a traditionalist than I am. So I think you're going to, you're going to agree with me there. I agree with you there, but not the universal DH. All right. But to backtrack to the Mets or the Dodgers, of course I'd choose the Dodgers. I'm a Dodgers fan, but I will say this. I have been to city field. My brother and niece and sister-in-law live in Brooklyn in um i'd say a little over a decade ago i caught a game at city field and even though still new at the time the way they designed that ballpark they tried to incorporate some historical elements of the dodgers old stadium there ebbets field and um it is yeah new but i thought it, i i actually liked that stadium and i thought it was a great ballpark but it wouldn't make me want to choose playing for the Mets over the Dodgers, primarily because I'm a Dodgers fan. And, you know, what you said about the winning culture and winning history and the Mets just haven't had it with their former owners of the franchise, the Will Ponds. This billionaire Cohen is trying to turn it around, just like when Mark Walter purchased the Dodgers from the disaster of an owner, the Boston jerk Frank McCourt. Okay. But, um, but, you know, uh, but going back to those rules, because the, they keep coming up, putting a guy on second base, I think, is ridiculous in extra innings. Having seven inning double headers because of the pandemic, and if you're having, you know, um, these games played or travel days close to each other, and you're going to have a seven inning double header, I think is just insane. Um, universal DH, I'm glad they're not going to begin the year with the universal DH. Okay. I think it enhances National League gameplay, and that's the original gameplay, is to have the pitcher hit the ball. And he doesn't need to be the best hitter to be an effective hitter. But there's just so much focus on the long ball and trying to have, you know, these hitters hit the long ball that you, you discount a good button pitcher putting a pitcher or putting a runner in scoring position. Okay, so yes, I am a traditionalist. And I think these changes, just like the changes with your boy Adam Douchebag jersey I live in silver in the NBA, are ridiculous. And the scam, the scam bread commissioner Manfred, scam bread Manfred sucks. And all these guys should be fired. And I am a, you know, and I don't think being a traditionalist is a bad thing. Why all of a sudden you want to make changes to the game? No, the game is the game. Play the fucking game and win the game if you're good enough. Otherwise, you know, you, if you suck or if you can't score, 
you know, you, you got to find a way to do it. You got to bring, you know, an extra innings. You got to find a way to bring the runner across the plate. But um, moving on, that's my little rant there. Um, well, I, I, would I just I disagree with you about the um, DH. I just I think the DH adds a lot of excitement. Um, it gives an opportunity for players who maybe can't run as fast as they once did, but still have some prowess with the bat um, to extend their careers a little bit. But I do see your point about a pitcher because occasionally you do have a pitcher who can actually hit and that can add um, a little something to the game. Like imagine if uh, Shohei Otani had been in the national league, um, his ability to hit makes him a legitimate threat more so in the national league without the DH than it is in the American league. So I see both sides. You know, I agree with you there, what you said about showy, sure, he's granny Otani, but, <laughs> but he didn't want to play in the National League. The Dodgers went after him, and he purposefully chose the Angels. Okay, and that must be, you know, because he wanted to DH on his days off, where he didn't want to play the field. And um, there's more risk of him getting injured playing the field on his off days being a pitcher versus just walking up to the plate and just batting. So, so that's why, you know, he, uh, no, I, think I, he I think, I think he's sure. I think sure. He's scrawny because he's showy. Sure. He is scrawny. Otani. I just, I, I disagree with you there because I've been at games where Otani wasn't pitching, but he still played um, in the field. So he's definitely not afraid to play. He did get injured, so I think that's why um, maybe he's not necessarily allowed to play in the field much anymore. But um, I definitely disagree with you in the fact that he will not – he he wanted more time off. I definitely disagree with you there. Well – he, he could have been more effective, like you said, in the National League with no DH. Okay? But he chose no. And at any rate, you know, uh, he, I mean, he's, for, he's with the Angels. And we'll get to the Angels in a moment here. But you know what? Let me ask you. Um, how do you think Dodgers fans would have reacted if Trevor Bauer actually chose the Mets? Impossible as that even sounds. I think they would have just been saying, well, go enjoy New York. We have more rings, and we're more likely to get another ring, so go chase your money. You weren't serious about winning. Okay. So you don't think there there would have been any similar sentiments with, from Dodgers fans? No, because who has a – who's the reigning um, – World Series champion right now, who just recently was in multiple World Series and was even robbed um, of a title by a trash can. So, yeah, I definitely think that the Dodgers fans would have been like, you can go to a winner or you can go to the Mets. And that would have been the end of it. They would have just said, you're stupid. Mm-hmm. Now, when it came to one other thing that I wanted to point out was when I was in college, I worked at a restaurant, which wasn't very far from Angel Stadium. And this African-American gentleman came in just before close and he and I started talking and he happened to have a pretty big ring on. And I said, you know, can I ask about your ring? And he took it off and he handed it to me. 
and it ended up being a Dodgers World Series ring. And his name was John Rosenborough. He was a catcher for the Dodgers. And he and I had about a two-hour conversation. And he was just the most down-to-earth, amazing guy. I'm glad I got to meet him before he passed away. But um, the reason why I bring that up is that interaction with him is also another reason why I would choose the Dodgers. Just because I felt like he was such a great ambassador for my personal experience um, for the team. And just how... He was so down to earth. He was there in an official capacity for the Dodgers, and he was taking a look. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He was there in a, an official capacity for Major League Baseball because he ran um, the umpires in the National League at that particular time, and he was seeing how his counterparts in the American League were doing. So, But anyway, I just I thought that that interaction with him, um, it, was just, it just showed that the Dodgers were a class organization, just – the way he represented the, the uh, team. So I wanted to make sure that I mentioned that as well, because it was just such a cool experience for me. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, I remember hearing about him and of course, you know, he's, his playing days were before my time and probably my life. But, well, he was uh, talking yeah. to me about catching Jackie or uh, Sandy Koufax. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, that means, you know, like he was like in the sixties, and mm-hmm. that reminds me, like my mom told me a story of seeing um, uh, Koufax in the World Series in the 60s. I think it was the year they lost. And her story is that she got free tickets from the law firm she worked at. And uh, she didn't have anybody, like it was that last minute. And she decided to have anybody to take. So she took this kid who lived across the street and um, apparently he had uh, some deadly disease and ended up dying after he, she took him to the world series. And I was oh, wow. Like thinking, wow, you know what? Um, that's sort of like, you know, where um, make a wish type of stuff came from. At least I yeah. got to see Sandy Koufax and probably pitched to your boy, John Roseborough in the world series. So that is a wonderful story. Man, thank you for sharing it, Montoya. You know, and um, yeah, I mean, that goes a, a lot, too. If you're choosing between these organizations and what the history of an organization uh, can contribute to a free agent's decision, not just being your hometown team. But well, I also that- looked, at, I looked it up just for the sake of uh, argument. He played from 1957 until 1967. He was on the Brooklyn team and also the Los Angeles Dodgers as well. So he made the transition between both states. And I'll go ahead and let you finish with what you were going to say there. I just wanted to put some oh, factual yeah. well, dates no, that there. means That means, yeah, he the first year they were here in 59, he won the World Series. Mm-hmm. And um, he was in another World Series, at least. I got to check my Dodgers championship jacket. Let me see the dates. So that means he also won one in 1963 and 1965 and was in another one. I think they lost maybe to the twins in the sixties during the sixties. So, yeah. So he has, he he probably had, he probably had three rings. Well, he he potentially could have had that uh, winning ring against the twins because in 68 and 69, he played for the twins. And wow. 
Who? Yeah. So that t- that'll take a little bit more research to see. Just but yeah, he at least has one ring that he showed you, and that's very interesting. So he won three world championships. The last one was in 1965, based off of what I just looked up. And um, that World Series was against the Twins. And the uh, looks like um, he was there with Sandy Koufax, Don Drysdale, and Walt Alston. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he, he played against Harmon Killebrew. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah. I remember hearing about John Roseboro. That's very interesting. Super but, nice uh, guy. Yeah. That's sad. You know, but uh, at the same time, that's a great story. And that's too bad. He did pass. Looks like he passed in 2002. So that's an old story you have here. Well, that's honestly, I met him and uh, I believe he passed away like within, uh, I'm going to say within six months of me meeting him because ESPN happened to stop everything that they were doing and they announced his death. And I was like, oh my God, that's the guy I just met. That's crazy. Well, we got a few uh, baseball questions and let's get them all in before the end of the segment. Um, now, with Trevor Bauer signing Montoya, do the Dodgers have the best rotation in baseball with Bauer, Walker Bueller, David Price, Clayton Kershaw, and three guys fighting for the fifth spot, Julio Arias, Dustin May, and Tony Gonsolin? Yeah. We don't even have to go deep into that discussion. I, don't, I can't think of anybody who's got a better group of pitchers. And it's amazing to me when you think about it, in terms of you've got the Dodgers with probably the best set of pitchers in all of major league baseball. And you just go a little bit down the 57, the five to the 57 and you have easily the worst group of pitchers in the angels. And uh, for the record, I am an angels fan. I'm owning that right now, but I have no issue with calling that team out for being terrible. Okay. And good. Cause we'll get to that in a moment. But, you know, the Padres made some moves to try and compete with the Dodgers. And obviously this uh, Bauer signing by the Dodgers was the, you know, um, basically the Dodgers flexing their muscles to try and keep their spot and hold in the National League West. Um, But, you know, with the Padres, you know, with their uniforms reminiscent of feces, they signed, <laughs> they signed Fernando Tatis Jr. to a mega deal being a few years younger when Mookie Betts and Mike Trout signed theirs with a 14-year, $340 million contract. Did the pods pull the trigger too early on this deal with Tatis Jr.? No, absolutely not. And let me explain why. The Padres have a small window that they can try to – capitalize on something with um and when was the last time outside of tony gwynn that you remember the padres having any type of an all-star that stuck around for more than one season san diego has essentially been a flyover city and with there not being any other pro teams in the city now like the padres can become the the epicenter of san diego sports so by them pulling the trigger they're going to put butts in seats as soon as butts can actually get into seats And um, they're putting together a competitive team for the first time in I don't know how long because they're traditionally cellar dwellers. 
So this is good for baseball. It's good for San Diego, and it's good for uh, um, the Dodgers as well to actually have a little bit of competition with the team that's so close because you can see Dodgers fans going to San Diego for these games. You can see Padres fans coming up to L.A., and it's not going to end up in a bloodbath like it does when the Giants fans come down. <laughs> you know, that's a good point, number one, and it sort of reminds me to the late 90s um, when whenever the Padres – and Giants came to town, there would be literally, like in a three-game weekend series, like literally over 150,000 people going to Dodger Stadium in, in a three-game series for a weekend. And uh, the competitive uh, teams of San Diego with Ken Caminetti and uh, Tony Gwynn and Trevor Hoffman and, uh, and then those San Francisco teams. Yeah, 1998. 98, and then with those uh, Giants teams with, uh, like, Barry Bonds and um, Will Clark and uh, Marvin Bernard and, you know, them, um, and J.T. Snow, maybe after <laughs> Will Clark. I don't Yeah, J.T. Snow, Mr. Mr. Orange County. Yeah, who was a former angel. So, um, but at any rate, okay. So, but we got, you know, some time here. Um, real quick, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked you last podcast. Montoya, why is Artie Moreno even the owner of the Anaheim Angels? Um, because he had the money to buy the team and, um, he wanted to be the Mexican version of Donald Sterling. And because he's the Mexican version of Donald Sterling, how can he have maintained ownership of a team without the fans in white orange county who vote just like Moreno votes, how can they be tolerant of someone like him with his mediocrity as an owner for so long, nearly 20 years? Well, you also have to consider that some of these guys are from the IE and they like to go to Huntington beach and they happen to appreciate his affinity for the 1488. So, and by that, I mean Donald Trump. So, with that, with that said, I, you take a look at uh, the Donald Trump and that demographic. They're not necessarily worried about being successful. They just need to say that they are. Um, it's kind of like when Donald Trump says that he's rich. He's not really rich, and I think the tax returns are going to prove that. This is not a political show, so I'm going to continue to move back to sports, but I needed that analogy to basically say – Here's a guy in Artie Moreno who's going out there saying he's doing everything he can to put together a winner, but his actions and reality show something completely different. He's worried about buying the stadium. He's worried about the controlling interest in the stadium more so than he is in putting a winning product to put butts inside the seats inside the stadium. Yeah, and so and you're talking about people driving to Anaheim for those games from Fontucky, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, he. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, and I liked both the Dodgers and Angels. And in fact, I probably liked the Angels a little bit more than the Dodgers when I was a kid. I would have my dad drive me to Anaheim, and we'd pass Dodger Stadium, which was only like a five to seven minute drive away on the way to Anaheim so I could see players like uh, Dave Winfield and uh, Reggie Jackson and all that. And, you know, uh, Chili Davis. Yeah. Chili Davis, uh, George Hendricks, 
um, you know, uh, Bob Boone, Lance Parrish, Dick Schofield, Doug DeSensei, uh, Wally Joyner. Oh, wow. Um, DeSensei. Brian Downey, you know, uh, Rupert oh, Murdoch, uh, Gary, Pettis, Gary Pettis, Devon White, Devon White uh, you know, all Trey those Percival. guys. No, well, you're okay. Well, no, I'm talking about, I'm, you know, when my dad would drive me, it was probably before those guys, these are Cena and Percival. But, um, you know, the point is I'm saying is we would drive past Dodger Stadium to see those guys, okay, all the way to Anaheim. But Moreno, I don't think, has a fucking clue. He doesn't have he a clue. He has no clue. No clue He does not care about putting a winning product out. He's more worried about – I mean, the last bit of money that he actually spent besides Mike Trout was on Albert Pujols. And Pujols hasn't really – Don't forget Josh Hamilton. Oh, yeah, that was a big – that was a mess. But you, know, you have to give him credit for Hamilton because that wasn't someone who was necessarily of Latin culture. I think he went with, uh, with Pujols because he had a reputation and, you know, he spoke Spanish. And as a Mexican myself, I can say that, and it's not racist. But at the same time, um, I, I just don't know what this guy's doing. He's not trying at all. I, Donald Sterling is laughing at, at him going <laughs> – even I tried a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And he barely tried, and sometimes, and and the Clippers would, uh, you know, sometimes be decent. And this guy just lucked out in getting Mike Trout. That's it. Yeah, Artie Moreno has not even lucked out into a playoff team. I mean, when was the last time that the the Angels made the playoffs? I mean. What was that, like 2009 maybe? It's been a long time. I should look that up. As an Angels fan, I've just kind of given up in terms of the idea of the playoffs. No, I think it's been at least maybe six or seven years. But um, but any rate, um, so, you, you know, comparing these play, uh, pitching staffs, uh, the LA Times reports that the Angels think Griffin Canning can provide stability in the Angels starting rotation. Montoya, does that mean he can actually qualify for a decision and pitch five innings? No. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it's just all, it's all like what, the, I mean, yeah, that, that the Angels believe that because that's how they worded it. The LA Times doesn't believe that. They're like, okay, this is what the Angels say. This is what they believe. Like, <laughs> you know, like, hello. What about Mixed truth, flaws. reality? Yeah, facts. But, okay, so we all know that to be BS. But, you know, uh, Otani is going to be pitching this year, and he didn't pitch much uh, – or only, he only pitched twice last year in the shortened season. But how long before Shoei, Shurhees, Grani, Otani gets injured again? And, and very... does, does Shohei, Shurhees, Grani, Otani have the chance for the title of Mr. Glass Sam Bradford of baseball? Um, ooh, that's a tough one. I'm definitely going to say that I think he is very similar to he's more Sam Bradford than AD. Um, in the fact that you're right, he has been injured pretty much every single season that he's played. Um, gosh, that's such a hard one. I, I don't know if you saw this article, but on February 24th, Mike Trout said that his number one goal is to end the Angels playoff drought and he's been with the Angels for a decade and he's only seen the playoffs once. 
only once in a decade. The best player in baseball has only sniffed the playoffs one time. Mm-hmm. So, yes, while I agree that Otani brings some excitement, I agree with you in the fact that he's not going to last the whole season. He's not going to complete games, even a seven-inning doubleheader. Um, so, no, um, it just goes back to, again, Artie Moreno is not investing in this team. He's more worried about collecting real estate. And he's Correct. not even as he is not even as well dressed as my good friend, the Phil Spector lookalike in every NBA game. Um, what the heck is his name right now? And I just called him my good friend. He's at pretty much every NBA game. He his face is leather and he's one of the most horribly dressed people you'll ever see, but he's always Jimmy Goldstein. Jimmy Goldstein. So, yeah, I mean, even Jimmy Goldstein is looking at him going, you look ridiculous right now. You know what? (laughs) Yeah, I met Jimmy Goldstein before. One time, uh, B hooked up uh, me and Lindsay with some courtside seats, and we were sitting next to Jimmy. Oh, that guy is crazy. Like, we nicknamed him Phil Spector, because if you look at when Phil Spector went to court and his hair was bigger than he was, that's exactly – what uh, Jimmy Goldstein kind of looked like. It was very wrinkly, very leathery Bill Spector. <laughs> yeah. No, I saw him in a Hollywood club before. He had oh, a, man. He had a young broad with him, and, uh, yeah, she was so much younger than him, and she looked good. But, uh, but you yeah, know, he always, he talked, he he always talked. has a hottie. He talked to me, and he, he seemed like a nice guy and all that. But, yeah, he does have the – he's just known for those famous outfits. But uh, two more questions. How do you think Mike Trout feels about the Angels right now? Um, I feel like he has uh, the enthusiasm for baseball of a 12-year-old. So he's potentially – always the optimist. um, They haven't sucked out the optimism out of his life yet. He's too young to really truly realize that he's on a sinking ship. So I, I I definitely feel like he feels that he has to try harder to bring this team to the playoffs and then eventually towards the championship. So I know that, uh, you know, he's trying and I I don't feel like he's been discouraged yet, but I, I definitely feel like he should be. Mm-hmm. I just think he's comfortable because that's the only team he knows. And he, when you're in that comfort zone, you're sort of afraid to push it, to go somewhere else, to say, I want to be a winner, because then the pressure could increase and compound within. So I think because of his comfort level, He's willing to put up with all this uh, garbage from um, Artie Moreno, who should sell the team. And I just want to say that is the official position of the LA Sports Roundtable, is that Artie Moreno means to sell the Angels. Okay, last question for baseball. Will the Dodgers be able to repeat as World Series champions in 2021? Yes. I don't believe that there's anything that can stop them. It's not like AD with LeBron. They have more than enough uh, star power and firepower to rely on. Um, There is the opportunity of a trash can or something similar sneaking up on them. 
Um, and as an Angels fan, it pains me to say that. But, yes, I don't think anybody can stop the Dodgers. I agree. And the fact that not only did they get Bauer to make that pitching rotation and bullpen with those guys, three guys fighting for that fifth spot, just an amazing rotation. They brought back Trinan. Uh, I The only thing that concerns me is Robert says that Kenley Jansen is still going to be the closer which is concerning because he's in the last year of his deal. He's lost a lot of velocity. And I would want uh, Bruce Dar Gratterall, who can get to triple digits, um, to maybe transition into that role. You know, because uh, Jansen, because his uh, dip in velocity, has uh, sometimes just uh, blown a lot of saves. But, you know, bringing uh, Justin Turner back, I think, is a big, big time positive to. To help I'm, those I'm not, Dodgers get another shot at another championship. I, I, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about the closer, and I'll explain why. When you have this type of firepower, this offense, and you have the that starting rotation that they have, there really shouldn't be much of a need for the the closer to be in the high digits. He just needs to be careful with his pitches, pitch a little bit more inside, get people to ground out, and get the hell out of there. He really shouldn't be worried about power in the first place. He should just be worried about pitch placement. So even if somebody does make contact, it's a ground out. Mm-hmm. He doesn't necessarily need to be Rick Vaughn. <laughs> yeah, and uh, if you think about it also, you know, with the short season last year, the Dodgers did do that and beyond. They had a six-game lead when the season ended. They uh, in the shortened season, they were um, forty-three and seventeen. So in a sixty-game season, that's a fucking good record for sixty games. I don't care what anybody yeah. says, you know. And if that season would have continued to one hundred and sixty-two, I don't think they, um, you know, they have the depth. Even if a couple guys got injured due to wear and tear, I don't, uh, you know, with their depth, I don't think anybody could have uh, been a threat. The Padres were six games behind, but over 162 games, that could have been turned into a 12-game lead for the Dodgers, in my point of view. So, you know what? We'll see um, if the Dodgers can contend. But, I mean, with them changing the playoff format and uh, allowing more wild cards, they can definitely make the playoffs. And I think, you know, even if you just say, hey, we get in the playoffs, even though you know they're not going to go far, that could be, or you never know. That could be uh, something to build up the sport, interest, fan base, all that. Like, hey, we actually got a chance when there's no chance. But you never know. There could be, just like when the Nationals beat the Dodgers in 19 to win the world, go on to world in the World Series. But on that note, is this a good time to transition to our who's better, Montoya? I believe that it is. All right, let's do it. Who's on the docket? Finally, we're going to do our Who's Better segment where we decide the better LA player. So, Toya, who's the better pitcher on the Los Angeles Dodgers? Clayton Kershaw or David Price? I'm going to go with Kershaw. Okay. I don't even need to say anything more with that. Just based off the fact that 
I think that Kershaw has been a little bit more consistent. Um, I think he has a name that brings up a little bit more um, intimidation when hitters are facing him. And I think that just gives him a bit more credibility in terms of, you know, people don't necessarily think of the psychology of the game in other sports, but in baseball, in the same way that numbers are a big part of the game, I believe that these these hitters know the numbers against the pitchers that they're going up against. And um, that factor plays a role in, in intimidating some of the hitters. What do you think? I agree. It's Kershaw. You know, but um, for the first thing I'd like to say is that David Price opted out last year. I don't even know if he's going to get a ring for not playing one moment one not pitching one pitch not playing in one game but if you look at their stat line it's just blank for a price because he didn't play because of that i don't know is he really you know a dodger i don't think he's a dodger until he starts playing for the dodgers even though he's been in spring training this is the second spring training with the team the dude opted out last year and that sort of pissed me off even though we could understand uh, when everything happened last year, there was a lot more unknowns about the virus, about the pandemic, about safety, about um, everything. And they basically, though, you know, kept things consistent about the whole doing the social distancing, washing your hands, wearing a mask, face covering. Um, but, you know, and with 60 games and a prorated salary david price was like you know what i'm making 30 million and with my 30 million into 60 games that's not going to be anywhere close to 30 million fuck it i already have a ring with the red sox i don't need to play and guess what they did without him they won the championship so that is one big strike against price for me another thing is you look at kershaw and you look at him and how he has uh, basically been born as a Dodger and how he is still like, you know, he finally got rewarded with uh, winning a championship in uh, the World Series in 2020 with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, And what has he done in his career besides win those Cy Youngs, besides win those ERA, uh, lowest ERA, you know, um, stats in the league consistently, like there were years where Clayton Kershaw had very, very low ERA. And even last year, where, okay, his velocity is also dipped, like I said about Kenley Jansen. Even though last year, it was a shortened year, the dude still had a 2.16 ERA and a 0.84 walks and hits divided by innings pitches or innings pitched as whip and he went six and two and he went you know nearly 60 innings and that was all in just pitching 10 of the 60 games so um and you know i mean in and i don't want to base it just on last year's stats but you know if you don't play a long time you you there's going to be some rust on David Price and having these, you know, situations for real game play. And um, he has been a force in his career, but uh, he's relied mainly on his fastball in 
his career and the dude didn't even play last year. And I don't want to say, you know, I, I mean, I get it. I understand why he opted out, but, um, could he have helped? Yes. There were times in the playoffs for the Dodgers where I was very concerned in the playoffs versus the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves could have won and beat the Dodgers in that series. And as a fan, you want your team to beat the other team and kick their butts completely. And Price could have helped out with that and made that series less of a threat. (laughs) But they barely pulled it off against the Atlanta Braves. Barely. That was a baseball, a, a tremendous series. And yeah, that's baseball. But, you know, I mean, he could have helped out and he didn't. So, I mean, because of that, um, he didn't play. And if you don't play, I don't even know. And if I don't know, I don't think you're, you know, I can't, you got to prove me wrong. And until you prove me wrong, David Price, Clayton Kershaw is the better LA player. Everything he's done for Los Angeles, everything he's done for the Dodgers, everything he's done for the kids in Africa with his wife. Um, he is a class act, Cy Young winner, ERA winner. He and a World Series champion for the Dodgers, not you, David Price. Well, here's the other point that I'd like to make then. You said that Price is very heavily reliant on his fastball, whereas Kershaw has proven it's not always about speed, but it can be about placement. So mm-hmm. I, that's just another straw in Kershaw's hat in the fact that even with losing some of his velocity, he still has the ability to keep a low ERA based off of pitch placement. Yeah, and that's what pitching is all about, right? Keeping the hitter off balance. In, in Kershaw's 12 to 6, curveball is amazing. Um, he can still throw it in the low 90s. I mean, but he used to be high 90s. But, I mean, he, he I don't know if he would still be pitching at this point, if he would still be using that strategy. I'm hoping David Price has some uh, velocity left in the tank because that is his uh, his main pitch. Go-to. That's well, his go-to. With the, with the year off, maybe this could be good for David Price in terms of giving the arm a rest. Maybe it comes back significantly stronger. Maybe any velocity that people might have said that he lost, he got an opportunity to get back with the time off. Take a look maybe. at Rob Gronkowski. He took a year off from football and uh, came back and he looked significantly better than you know he had his last year with the Cheetahs. You can make the yeah. argument that taking a year off yeah. is a good thing. Uh, that's all I'm saying is you can make the argument that taking a year off is a good thing. You can make that argument. and le- I mean, as a Dodgers fan, I hope that can be the case. But, you know... You're not going to hold your breath. No. And if he falters, they have other guys who could come in and they have three guys going to be vying for that fifth spot in the rotation. So um, we're in also, think about this as well. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, what happens every spring training? Past few years, his back hurts. He misses some time. Um, so, I mean, all that stuff, they're going to have those other guys be able to come in and just fill the void of either of those guys. And whether if uh, Price gets racked or if uh, Kershaw gets injured, you know, 
Um, but Price, he is in his last year of his deal, I believe. I'd have to look that up. But that also can be some incentive for Price. But, you know, it still doesn't change my mind about who the better pitcher is. Agreed. Clayton Definitely agreed. Kershaw. It says, oh, no, it says free agent 2023. So Price signed a seven-year, $217 million contract with the Boston Red Sox. And that was the only way. There was a salary dump. That was the only way to get Mookie Betts was to take on David Price's contract. So the Dodgers still have him. For this year and next year, in 2023, he will be a free agent. But he will be making $32 million this year and $32 million next year. Whereas, Holy shit. Whereas your boy Pujols, finally, one more year of Pujols in his t- 10 years, or this will be his 10th year, but nine years with the Angels, he's batted 259. And uh, with 11 years with the Cardinals, he was like a 313 or 330 hitter. <laughs> so, talking about contracts. Another bit of wasted money from uh, Donald um, Sterling. The Mexican Donald Sterling. Yeah. Mer- Donald Sterling Moreno. Yeah. Donald and Sterling Moreno, Donald Sterling Moreno Trump. <laughs> yeah. Donald Sterling. Donald Moreno Trump. Donald Moreno Sterling Trump. Moreno Trump. <laughs> Very fitting. Very fitting. And, you know, um, but on that note, Clayton Kershaw, ladies and gentlemen, it's been determined. By the LA Sports Roundtable, he's the better LA player over David Price. So that's it for today, everyone. Thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you have a question you'd like Toya and me to discuss, please let us know and give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at LA Sports RT1. Until next time, take care.